It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Welcome back. Silver and black today, an Odyssey original podcast also. If you're listening to us on 98.5, the fan over the air in Las Vegas or on 1140, the bet. Hey there. How are you? Hope you're doing well in the silver state. We are here to talk about Raiders football. I am Scott Branson, your host, Mo Moten, my co-host, still under the weather a little bit. Hope to get him back early next week. So keep him in your thoughts and prayers as he gets healthy. Today, we have a very special show. We will get to Raiders news and views Coming up, the release of Jonathan Abram, what's happening with this roster, the status of Darren Waller heading into this game on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts at Allegiant Stadium there in Las Vegas. But first, we're going to talk to Jeff Perlman, the author of The Last Folk Hero, the myth, right? The myth and the life of Bo Jackson. Of course, Raiders great running back. All of you have a great Uh, affinity for Bo Jackson, as I know I do growing up in that era. And so Jeff Perlman, uh, the writer of nine books, best-selling New York Times best-selling author, former Sports Illustrated, of course, wrote Showtime, which turned on about the Los Angeles Lakers, of course, which turned into the HBO series. He's going to be with us in a few minutes. We're going to talk about Bo Jackson and his book. Really, really interesting stuff. Do us a favor, though, before we get to Jeff, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to us. If you're listening to us on the radio on 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas, that's fine, too. You can go up on the Odyssey app, subscribe to the podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you listen to them on Apple, listen to it on Google, on your Amazon Alexa, you can find us there. You can find us on Audible, wherever you get books on tape, you get any of that stuff, you'll find Silver and Black today uh, thanks to the power of the massive Odyssey Network. So we're excited to have you here, and we appreciate you. Also, uh, for our mailbag show, if you'd like to send us any questions or comments, hit mail at silverandblacktoday.com. That's mail at silverandblacktoday.com, and we will get to your questions on our very popular mailbag show, which is usually on Wednesday, but with Mo sick, I was waiting to see if he get better. So we'll drop some mail uh, bag show here uh, on Friday. So we appreciate you being with us. And now it's time to talk a little bit about Bo Jackson. All right. Now joining us, author Jeff Perlman, of course, uh, journalist from SI ESPN back in the day and the author of nine books, including Showtime, which a lot of people know from the HBO series was adapted. uh, And a lot of us watched uh, over the past year. So, Jeff, thanks for being with us here on Silver and Black today. No, my pleasure. You know, they changed the name. The book was called Showtime, but the show was called Winning Time because they couldn't have a show called because they couldn't have a show on HBO called Showtime when, uh, you know, Winning Time. And so what can you do? 
And Showtime, HBO, right? They're confusing for people, I'm sure, too. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but a lot of, as you know, a lot of Raider fans from L.A. are Lakers fans. So I know they're familiar with your work down there as well. Uh, but I want to jump into this. I mean, the book, The Last Folk Hero. To me, when, when I saw this come across my email that your book was coming out, and it was about Bo Jackson, I could think of no better title because for those of us old enough to remember the days before social media and, and cell phones, yes, I'm aging myself, um, we remember there were stories, but you didn't necessarily have proof. Talk a little bit about the title of the book and how it really relates to this whole story of Bo Jackson. Well, it came from something Joe Posnanski, a really great writer, said, which was he was the one who referred to Bo as the last folk hero. And I think he was referring specifically to the famous throw Bo made when he was with the Royals and Howard Reynolds. He threw out Howard Reynolds at home in the kingdom. And he made the point, if you watch that play on, on YouTube, you never see Bo release the ball. It was basically a one-camera shot. And when Bo released the ball, the camera was focused on Howard Reynolds. So it's like, how do we know he did it if we didn't see it? And that applies to so much of Bo Jackson. How do we know he ran a 4-1-3-40 at Auburn? Um, how do we know he, you know, hit the hit, hit the lights in the first night game at, uh, you know, University of Georgia's baseball team? How do we know he did this? How do we know he did that? And it really adds to it all. The mythology of Bo is that we don't we don't know for sure. We we pass down <laughs> stories the way we pass down myths and Paul Bunyan and Zeus and, you know, John Henry. And that's, what's kind of cool about it. We don't always know. We're just guessing and telling stories. Yeah. And it, it sort of enriches. I mean, those of us who've watched the video, watched him play when he played, we, we saw it with our own eyes, not that stuff, but I, that reminds me of a story in the book. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take an aside here because it's an incredible story. And I think it un underscores exactly what you're saying. And that is Fast forward, Bo Jackson, post-injury, he's with the White Sox. They're flying back, and I forgot what city they're flying back from, California or somewhere. And the yeah. plane gets in trouble, and you hear all these stories about Bo Jackson saved the Chicago White Sox uh, and their plane from crashing. Tell that story and just how it kind of feeds into that mythology and into this folk hero status. Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. I didn't know about it. He, um, They're flying back. They play the Angels. They're flying back to Chicago. And... The plane, it was a charter jet, an American West charter, catches on fire. One side, one engine catches on fire. And players start freaking out. You know, Tim Raines opens the thing. <laughs> he sees the light, the flames on fire, and all the players are freaking out. And all of a sudden, Bo Jackson comes out of the cockpit. And he's like, all right, everyone, calm down, calm down. The pilots have it under control. We're going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. But then there's a second version I was told where he doesn't come out of the cockpit. He actually runs up to the cockpit to help the pilots and see what he can do to help the pilots. So... <laughs> I always say, because it's Bo Jackson, maybe both stories are true. Maybe he did both at the same time. The plane makes an emergency landing in Des Moines, Iowa. It's 3.30 in the morning. Airport's empty. Players are shaken and they're rattled. And they, they enter the, the, the terminal. And there's, um, there's a kiosk where they sell like pretzels and beer, but it's closed. But there's, a, um, there's a, a keg. There's a keg with a lock on it. And Bo Jackson, this is told by many people, walks up breaks the lock off the keg and starts pouring <laughs> beer to all his teammates. And I always say, like, the story always ends. He poured beer for all of us. And I say, mythology-wise, where'd the cups come from? Like, who provided the cups? Where are they from? He doesn't need cups. It's Bo Jackson, right? Uh, uh, he made the cups. He cobbled the cups out of wood. 
<laughs> Took the airport seats and made cups out of them. That's right. Uh, Jeff, I mean, let, let's go back to, and we'll, we'll get into the, the, the football and, and all that as well, too, as Raider fans would love to hear about it. But uh, we go back, and I think it's important to talk about the beginnings of Bo Jackson, his childhood, because it was not obviously even close to being uh, a, a privileged childhood. It was the opposite of that. How did this, being one of 10 children with a single mother who was working, I believe, as a maid in a motel, if I remember from the book, and and really just this amazing life where he didn't, he couldn't even afford clothes or shoes. Talk about those beginnings and how that helped shape who he would become in his athletic career later in life. I was actually just thinking why you're asking that in sports. I think we become numb to the hard scrabble stories. You know what I mean? Right. There's so many hard scrabble stories. There's so many of these guys worked their butts off from, but what he faced is just different level. He was actually one of 11 and he was one of 10 yeah. living in this house, single mom, Florence bond, um, three room house, 10 kids and a mom. Uh, they slept on the floor. Bo would oftentimes rub up against the wood burning stove at night and wake up in the morning with burns on his body. Um, he would wear his sister's hand-me-down shoes to school or socks, like just socks to school. He, uh, he had a severe, severe stutter. Um, he was held back a grade and it was awful. Like it was really awful. And he, you know, probably because of that, you can do some freight on it. He wound up being this really big bully, like a bully of a kid where he would steal people's money and steal their bikes. And his mom would beat the crap out of him. And he actually got his nickname, his nickname, Bo is short for Bohog, which is short for Borhog, because when he was 12, him, him and a, a couple of his friends went to the neighborhood's farm, uh, a neighbor's uh, farm, and st for three straight days beat the crap out of a Borhog with a bunch of sticks trying to kill it. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. And they they got caught, and Bo, who was Vincent Edward at the time, was terrified of being sent to reform school because he had a brother who went to reform school, and his brother told him stories that if you go to reform school, they will rape you. So he had this oh. horrible fear of getting raped at reform school. So he gets this nickname, Bo, but he also has this fear of getting, you know, basically sent off to reform school. Local coaches start seeing this kid has talent. He plays summer league baseball and such. And he gets to McAdory High, and that's where they really, you know, when you come from that, the depths of that poverty, and you see, whoa, wait a second. Maybe I can go to college doing this, or maybe I can sign a contract doing this. Maybe I can make money for my mom. Maybe I can get her out of this area. Uh, it's a great motivator, and that's what it was for Bo. Yeah, no kidding. And and obviously, Bo Jackson. Uh, the one thing that we talk about when 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 I hear from fans and listeners of the show is just about what an amazing uh, athlete he was physically, and and how he, that was who he was. Right. So a lot of that plays into some of the folklore and the mythology and the truth. Right, as you outline in the book, which is Bo didn't like to practice. He didn't want to practice. We had another author on a couple years ago who wrote a book about Bo, and he talked about how at college when Bo was at Auburn and was running track, playing football, playing baseball, um, he also won, I think, the table tennis championship. So one of those, one of those again, lore things, but that he was just such a, a kid with such God-given ability that he didn't need to really work all that much at it like some of the other athletes you see in that phase of their life. It's actually a really complicated thing in a way to talk about because mm. – you read the Auburn media guides back in the eighties and they go with some really ugly tropes, which is, mm. I'm not kidding when I say this, almost every white guy is described as scrappy, hardworking, dogged, driven. <laughs> and almost every African-American player is gifted, talented, Cobra-like, you know, all the, all the nonsense. So 
on the one hand, I hate describing Bo in these sort of terms as just he's just a natural athlete. But he really was like he mm. really was. He wasn't just Lionel James or Pat Washington, like really good players who did have to work super hard. Bo was so above them and he was so blessed with these gifts and he was naturally fast and naturally strong. And he had this body. He did not lift weights. He just had this Zeus like body. You know, he uh, he didn't swim, He did, but he had endurance like the gift. He really learned to work hard after the injury in the 1991 playoff game when he had to come back. That's when he really learned to work hard. But until that point, one of the great and I think kind of fair criticisms of Bo is that he let his athleticism dictate his, his career mm. and maybe could have worked a little harder. I mean, the results, though, it's hard to argue with most of the results. <laughs> That's true. And I mean, I mean, you longevity, those types of things you have to wonder. And I, and I know you kind of mentioned it in the book a little bit, which is had he done those things, would he have would his hip had given out the way it did all those kind of things and of course we don't know uh because we, we he didn't do it so we just don't know but when you look at Bo Jackson too at that time in Auburn in college I'm always I was struck by first of all the level of research and the conversations you had for this book and I know you did it during COVID which was an incredible challenge but you still as you've done in all your works you go so deep which many authors don't do so thank you for doing that but those stories at Auburn getting there his mom wouldn't let him play football, right, when he was younger. Uh, he finally plays in high school and and starts to be the player that people look to and see. But he, the way he ended up at Auburn was even interesting, wasn't it? Oh, it's great. So, first of all, <laughs> he's, uh, he's drafted in the second round by the New York Yankees coming yeah. out of high school. And I think he would have been the first overall pick, except there were real doubts whether he would, he would sign. And... The Yankees had a scout named Gus Palouse, who was all about Bo Jackson, like all about Bo Jackson. And they draft him in the second round, and they call him, and no, nobody answers the phone. And they call again, nobody answers the phone. The Yankees send someone to knock on the door. Nobody answers the door. They call his high school baseball coach with the greatest offer ever. You're Like, you're Bo Jackson. You're 19 years old. You've only left the state of Alabama one time, and it was to go to Six Flags in Atlanta, right? And the Yankees call, and they say, we want to fly you and your baseball coach to New York to come to Yankee Stadium and watch Yankees Red Sox. And they thought this will be the enticer. But Bo couldn't name one member of the Yankees the Red Sox. He didn't know the Yankees and the Red Sox were rivals. <laughs> like, it wasn't his world. So, no, it wasn't him. His mom really wanted him to go to college. And also, Auburn put this real full-court press on him. And they broke out the boosters. And they guarded his mom. Like, when his mom would come to his high school games, Auburn would have people sitting on both sides of her. So people couldn't approach her. So scouts couldn't go up to her. They really guarded him. Because he was a very prized, obviously prized recruit for them. Yeah, and he goes to Auburn, and obviously we know uh, about the baseball because he parlayed that into a professional career as well. Uh, but that baseball career, I mean, the story, you, t you have to tell the story about the Georgia game because reading that in the book, I had heard a little bit about it, but the timing of it and when the game occurred in relation to a big cultural moment in film with the same scene is remarkable. Tell that story about that game the first night down there in Georgia. Yeah, I didn't believe it, actually. When people first told me that, and then I interviewed so many people, I was like, wow, this crap really happened. So it's uh, <laughs> it's junior year, and 
all, uh, University of Georgia's Foley Field is finally having a night game. The coach, Steve Weber, had wanted lights for years. They finally got lights. What up, y'all? It's your boy, Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host, Harrison Sanford, on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And they bring in Auburn. And that's a big deal because Bo, at this point, is basically Auburn is saying, we have the new Herschel Walker. Mm. And, you know, pre-politics, pre-all that, Herschel Walker <laughs> was a god in Georgia, just an absolute god. And there, it, was, it was blasphemy to say, we have the new Herschel Walker. But Bo Jackson was the new Herschel Walker. So he's playing right field. And um, at the Georgia's field, behind right field, they had the fence. And then they had a thing called Kudzu Hill, where fans could sit and drink because it was outside the premises. And they just rode Bo Jackson. And the first half bat, Bo Jackson flies out. The fans just give him nonstop grief. Well, he comes up again. Okay. Bo Jackson comes up for his second at bat, and he hits a um, he hits a ball so far that it hits the lights. It actually hits lights. And this is 39 days before The Natural comes out in movie theater. So he hits the lights. I talked to a great writer, Tommy Tomlinson, who's been a writer for years in the South. He happened to be at that game because he was a Georgia student. He's covered sports for years. He said it's the hardest hit ball he's ever seen, hands down. Um, Bo Jackson jogs back out to right field. These same fans who are just making his life miserable start bowing and you sit at him. His next at bat, he homers. The bat at bat after that, he homers. His last at bat, he doubles and they boo him. Oh my gosh. And yeah, and the timing before the natural coming out 39 days later is yep. it was Reading that, I was I had to read it twice to to make sure was this a typo, uh, but amazing amazing stuff about him. And then of course his NFL career, and, and obviously we cover the Raiders, but the NFL career and how it came to be is really interesting as well because the story most people know at least the basis of the story, which is he's playing baseball at Auburn. He gets an offer. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers want to draft him. They want to fly him down and talk to him. And that ends up ending his baseball career at Auburn. Talk about that and, and how that whole situation with the Buccaneers really kind of changed his perspective and really hurt him from the perspective that he wanted to play baseball as well. First, I just want to say I've loved every question you've asked so far. Like, this oh, hey, is my joy. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. It's a great story. I mean, he's a, it is. He's a senior at Auburn. And he's playing baseball, and he's having the time of his life. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers finished 2-14 and 14 the year before because they were ridiculously bad. And um, they know they're going to have the number one pick in the draft. So Mo had an agent at this point, which obviously you were not supposed to have. And his agent reached out to the Buccaneers, and Hugh Culverhouse was the owner, and they agreed that Bo would fly in to Tampa on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers owner's plane for a physical. This is before the draft. Well. Bo thinks everything is cleared, flies in, comes back. And Hal Baird, the baseball coach at Auburn, they're playing uh, Alabama-Birmingham that night in the game. And Hal Baird is like, where's Bo? And one of the players is like, he went to Tampa Bay. And Hal Baird is like, wait, what do you mean? He's like, I flew to the Buc- The Buccaneers flew him in for a physical. And Hal Baird, who was kind of a guy, the by-the-book guy, was like, oh, no, this is a real problem. And um, because at the time, most conferences, you could be amateur in one sport, pro in another, the SEC. And it's so preposterous, man, because like mm. so many of those guys are getting paid. So of course. many of those guys. Are, I mean, it's such a joke. It's actually yeah. not even, it's ridiculous. So, but they call the SEC commissioner 
And he's like, yeah, no, he can't play anymore. And, you know, Hal Baird and Pat Dye, the football coach, are incredulous and they're screaming at the commissioner and he can't play. So Bo loses his baseball eligibility. He's livid and he swears he would never sign with Tampa Bay. But the Buccaneers, because they were just idiots, they decided to draft Bo number one anyway. Even though Lehman Bennett, the head coach at the time, said to Culverhouse, he's like, we can't draft him unless you know he's going to sign here. And Culverhouse is like, nah, he'll sign here. We'll pay him a lot of money. So they draft him. Bo's agents say, um, just go to Tampa and meet with them. So Bo flies in, and you Culverhouse, the owner of the team, and Steve Young, who's a quarterback at the time of the Bucks, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. take Bo out for a steak dinner. And Steve Young is there just to help woo Bo. He just he does it. And Culverhouse excuses himself from the table. And Bo leans into Steve Young and says, yo, man, just so you know, there's no effing way I'm ever signing with this team. <laughs> and Steve Young is like, all right, I guess uh. my work is done here. <laughs> and, oh, my um, gosh. And a year later, he enters the draft. He plays baseball and he signs with the Rose. A year later, he enters the draft. And one thing that's never come out, I talked to Chris Woods, who was a former Raiders receiver and also played yeah. with Bo at Auburn. And Woods told me very specifically that when he joined the Raiders, Bo Jackson called him up and said, tell Al Davis I want to play for the Raiders. So the Raiders used a late pick, a late draft pick on Bo. Just, well, maybe he'll want to play for us. And then he decided to. Yeah, remarkable uh, a journey. I mean, that whole situation. And, and yeah, ha- having having at that time, especially now, now we have uh, all of the stuff with college sports at least start trying to be righted now where these guys are getting some of this yeah. m- multi-billion dollars worth of money that these kids produce uh, for these schools and get zero of it.